Leaving comfort is rough, but God was so enamored with us that he left the comfort of heaven. That's pretty local. We didn't deserve it, but he did it anyway. So God himself took on a fragile body. God of the universe got the flu and the common cold. He sweated and he bled. He took on haters. He was jumped by soldiers. People spat on him and ultimately murdered him. And in that weak, breakable body, Jesus sat with the contagious and the hurting. He listened, he healed them, he encouraged them, he taught them. And that's where he found us, in the sketchy places you wouldn't take tu familia. And rather than call us hopeless, Jesus pulled us out the gutter, placed hands on the addicted, shady, and diseased people. He looked us in the eyes and called us beloved children. This is the incarnation, God incarnate. God in the meat, God on the block, God on the street. And these are the stories of the people he met. Yeah, I'm not going to get tired of that video. Uh, Patrick, Patrick and Soul, yeah, they moved to Twin Falls, Idaho, um, where it's just like slightly cheaper, like way cheaper. And they're doing really well. So um, they sent me a picture of their boys um, in front of a waterfall. It's amazing. Um, I can tell you more. But, hey, I'm Pastor Dale. I'm the lead pastor for City Life Church. And, uh, you know, when I have a guest speaker, a lot, if I can, I like to just tell you why, um, why I appreciate them. So this is Ed Aranda. Um, he was my first mentor, and he still is a mentor to me. And, yeah, come on, just clap. Let's all clap at once. There we go. If you're going to clap, do it. Um, and so uh, Ed's going to just share with you today from what um, God has taught him in the Word. And uh, I, I just wanted to say he's an amazing man of God, and he's worth listening to. And uh, even more so, uh, he has lived, lived it out. And uh, so I trust him by the way he's lived his life for so many, many years, uh, uh, overseeing me, uh, watching over me, checking in on me. So thank you, Ed. Thank you for sharing. Thank you that I had, got to have a vacation this week, um, knowing that I could trust you to preach. So thanks. Thanks. Oh, she's, uh, hey. <laughs> hey, good morning. Um, well, I just as Dale said, my name is Ed, and every now and then I do get a chance to help out Dale and Ashley this way and give them a break and some time off from very, very, very tough ministry sometimes, and it's, it's good to be able to help out this way. Um, it's... It's always a challenge for me because I have a horrible shy streak. I'm back here most of the time singing with Jen and, and Ash and usually behind the keyboard or behind the drums or behind a bass. And so that's usually a place of comfort for me. <laughs> um, and so preaching is always a challenge. And if you've never preached before in your life, you should try it because it'll, it'll scare the crap out of you. <laughs> Did I say crap? Yes. I, said, I said crap again. Sorry. So yeah, Dale preaches about poop sometimes. So. Anyway, well, and I've had the privilege uh, to have been with City Life since the beginning, a year before we even started. And this year, I think it's four years, right? Four years. A year before that, we prayed the took a whole year to pray for the church, and here we are, uh, four years later. Uh, it's been a it's been a great. Great, amazing time of ministry. 
Um, I want to talk to you today about, let me bring this slide up. Yeah, we are in Matthew 21, while they're trying to figure that out. We're in Matthew 21, verses 1 through 11. And if, uh, if you want, we've got Bibles in the back, some really nice Bibles, actually. Um, grab a Bible and follow along and, um, as, as I read, but also follow along as I go through the scriptures today, because um, I could really use you to use your help to keep me in check. Okay, there you go. All right. All right, so today I want to talk to you about your highest quality of life. Um, and it's the, the passage is Matthew 21, 1 through 11. And I'll go ahead and start reading. Matthew 21. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone asks anything to you, if anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and said and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. All right, so a little bit of backstory behind uh, this passage. This is a classic uh, Easter Passover um, passage. And it takes place during the last week of Jesus' life, the week, which is also known as the week of Passover. And Passover is the Jewish holiday that commemorates the liberation of the Israelites from Egyptian slavery. The day of Passover was the last of ten plagues that God used to prosecute Pharaoh. And what God does is God sends an angel of death to kill all of the firstborn of Egypt. But God promises that only those families who had marked their doorways with lamb's blood would be spared. The angel of death would pass over those doorways and would save the family's firstborn. And Passover, which is Jewish independence holiday, has been celebrated every year for the past 3,000 years. So this thing's, this thing's been going on for a long time. There's a lot of tradition to it. Now, this is Jerusalem at Passover, and in Jesus' day, there were over 2.5 million people and visitors from hundreds of nations around in the region that would visit Passover. Now, San Diego has 1.4 million people. So if, just imagine adding another million and a half people to San Diego and call it a party, 
It's a big deal, right? There's a lot of people, um, and it's, it's, it's a huge, huge Jewish holiday. And the vibe was a lot like, if you've ever been to the Olympics, um, when you go through the, 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 the Olympics and you visit, it's, it's amazing because you're immersed in languages and culture and there's food and there's people and there's, there's, all, kinds, there's all kinds of stuff happening and it's all mixing together and, and people are there for, most people are there for the games. And it's, it's just an amazing um, electrifying environment. So Passover seems like just another historical event, right? So what? So how does an old Jewish holiday like Passover affect your quality of life? Well, first, first we'll make some observations of the text, and then we'll uncover the deeper revelations about what the text says about us, and then we'll see how this old story about Jesus on a donkey leads us to our highest quality of life. And let's trust this morning that God actually has something to say to us. Let's pray together. Our Jesus, we've come to you this morning because your word is everything to us. When you speak, things happen. When you speak, people are healed. When you speak, mountains are moved. When you speak, sometimes you whisper. And when you speak, Lord, we want to listen today. And Lord, when, you're, when you speak, there's, there's so much wisdom and so much gold in your words that there's so much there for us to live a better life. There's so much there for us to um, experience and understand that you love us so deeply and so purely and so honestly that you always want the best for us. Lord Jesus, would you speak to us this morning? In your name we pray, amen. Okay. So two things about the text. The first is that Jesus fulfills prophecy. And secondly, some people recognize Jesus, but most do not. Most were clueless. Now, Jesus fulfills prophecy in verse 5. He says, say to daughter Zion, see, your king comes to you, gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Now, a king riding a donkey... That's kind of weird, right? Because kings don't ride donkeys, right? Kings usually ride chariots or horses or animals of power like elephants or, or tigers or dragons, right? But donkeys are, they're common work animals for common people. Jesus riding on a donkey. That'd be like Jesus coming to San Diego in a Toyota Corolla or... <laughs> Or a Ford Ranger, right? But you see, the thing about donkeys, especially in this day, is that donkeys were peacetime animals. And they were a sign of peace and peacetime. And there's a specific purpose why Jesus comes on a donkey. One, to fulfill scripture, because that's what he does. But also because Jesus establishes himself as the Prince of Peace. He comes as the Prince of Peace. So why is this prophecy so important? Well, because it is not the only prophecy that Jesus fulfilled, nor will it ever be the last prophecy Jesus fulfills. You see, this prophecy points to future prophecy and that Jesus, when he returns, he returns ready for war. 
Very different from the way he came. Revelations 19 um, tell, uh, uh, explains a prophecy uh, in, in detail. I'm sorry for the goofy picture, but this was the best thing. But it, it, it describes exactly what is prophesied in Revelations 19. He has a face shining like the sun, so bright that you can't even see his face. Uh, the sword of righteousness. Um, you can see he's riding, um, he's wearing a robe dipped in blood. That is your Jesus coming back. And he brings the armies of heaven with him. He brings the armies of heaven with him. So Jesus fulfills prophecy. He arrives offering peace. And he returns ready for war. Second observation is that some people recognize him, but most were clueless. In verse 9, it says that the crowds went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna, son of David. Now, son of David, this is a royal title, right? This is not just some guy. This is a royal title given to Jesus. And in Jewish history, David was the warrior king of Israel. So people recognize him as sharing the same lineage as the warrior king, right? And so they were expecting Jesus to rise up and overthrow the Roman rule, just like a warrior king. But we know later that doesn't happen, and a lot of people get really, really angry. The other side of the crowd is, they're pretty clueless, right? When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, who's this? Who's this? Um, 2.5 million people there for a party. He's just another face in the party, right? Maybe he's entertainment for later. But you know that you get 2.5 million people together for a party. Not all of them are really there for the party. They're not really there for past. Just like in, at the Olympics, when I was at the Olympics, there were a lot of people that were at the Olympics that really weren't there because of the Olympics. They were there to sell stuff. They were, sell to, they were there to party. They were there to do whatever, but they weren't there for the Olympics, just like in Jesus' day. So most of them are going, ah, just another guy. Just maybe he's entertainment for later. Maybe we'll see. So Jesus fulfills prophecy. He arrives offering peace, and he returns ready for war. Some people recognize Jesus, but most were clueless, and the Jesus of royal blood was mostly ignored. So what do we make of this? What's the big lesson behind this? What's the big deal behind this? Well, in one historic event, Jesus divides all of humanity into two groups. And he asks, he does this by asking the question, who will worship me and who will crucify me? This is the week of Passover. Who will worship me And who will crucify me? You see, for over 2,000 years, Jesus has asked the world the very same question. Who will worship me and who will crucify me? He asked it then back on Passover, and he asks us the same question today. Who will worship me and who will crucify me? Now, why is this question important? Well, this question is important because it says two things about us. The first is that we, I, we recognize Christ or 
were completely clueless about him, just like they were back then. You see, some people know the prophecies of Christ, and they know of his royal blood, and they know that he will return, but there's a majority of other people who've basically concluded that Jesus is irrelevant, right? He's merely a historical figure who founded a a religion called Christianity. But it says something else about us. It says something about our life's priorities. You see, and it goes, priorities goes beyond what we do on a Sunday morning. Sleep in, go to church, soccer, soccer games, sports, pancakes. Pancakes are priority for me on a Sunday morning. But our priorities impact the choices that we make about where we go to school, our career. Our priorities impact who we choose as our mates, our friends. Our priorities impact what we do with our time and what we buy with our money. Our priorities impact what we decide is morally right and wrong. You see, our priorities reflect our core beliefs about people and about the world, and our priorities ultimately define our quality of life. So Jesus divides all of humanity, past, present, and future, with one question. Who do you worship? Who do you worship? But there's an even deeper revelation that it says about us, and this is where we get to uncover even the deeper hidden gold that God has for us on how to live our lives. We are each born with a deep need for religion. And we are restless until we find something to believe in. A Google search of religion returns 2.5 billion results. Okay, what does that say? What that means is We, the known world with the internet, we know at least 2.5 billion things about religion. But I think it says something even more deeper than that. I think it says that people are searching for answers and they wanna know answers. And the answers that they get range from silly to dangerous. This is the church of the flying spaghetti monster. It's also known as the church of Pastafarianism. Pastafarianism. And they believe that teaching creation in public schools should be banned. They were founded in 2005 and they started with 3,000 members. They've got over millions of members today. This is the church of, this is the missionary church of Copiism. It is an official religion of Sweden and they believe that copying information is a sacred virtue. They're a congregation of file sharers. They were founded in 2012. They started with 4,000 members worldwide in Canada, Japan, Israel, and Illinois. Genesis 2, Church of Health and Healing. Now they believe that ingesting industrial strength bleach with water will heal all diseases. 
They were founded in 2009 with an active membership in North America, South America, Australia, Dominican Republic, New Zealand, United Kingdom, and Uruguay. You see, the need for religion is so deep that people are willing to believe anything. You see, I think people are grasping for something real to hold on to. And I think they're thirsty for a real life. Here's the other deep revelation that it says about us. What or who you worship controls your quality of life. Because whatever you bow down to owns you. And you allow it to decide how you live. And if it decides how you live, then it controls your quality of life. Who or what you worship sets your priorities. So let's, let's be honest. How much time and money do we lay down at the altar of sports or clothes or cars or achievements or education at the altar of our degrees or careers? Now, I'm not saying that those things are bad. What I am saying is that we should never forget where those things come from and to acknowledge the creator who gives us our abilities, our talents, our gifts, our creativity. I am saying that we should worship the bread giver, not the, not the bread. And I'm saying that we should worship Jesus Christ because everything comes from him. So if we're not worshiping Jesus Christ, then what are we worshiping? Well, the Bible calls that idols. And idols are counterfeit gods. They are dead gods with eyes that cannot see and ears that cannot hear. But Jesus is the living God. He sees you. He hears you. And he knows exactly who you are. What does that mean for you? Well, it means that it matters now when you pray. It means that your prayers can make a difference in this life. It can make a difference in your world. It can make a difference in a broken marriage when you need healing. It can make a difference when you feel like no one understands you because you have a God who has eyes that can see you and has ears that can hear you and has a heart that is drawn to you. So, if you want to raise your quality of life, then the only answer is to worship Jesus. And if we want a high quality of life, then we should worship a high quality person. So let's get back to the dividing line that Jesus drew for us. Who do you worship? Now, remember, Jesus divides all of humanity with one question. Who do you worship? Which side of the line do you want to stand on? Which side of eternity do you want to stand on? You see, Jesus made it possible when he chose to sacrifice his own blood on the cross for our forgiveness. God the Father will not offer us life any other way. 1 John 5:11 through 13. God has given us eternal life and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. 
He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. These things have been written so that you may know you have eternal life. So, can you have the highest quality of life? Absolutely. How do you get it? Confess and believe. Romans 10.9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You see, I, I chose to cross the dividing line when I was in college. I chose to worship Jesus Christ. And my priorities changed because I put Jesus' priorities above my own. And my quality of life changed for good. You see, my worldview changed because I began to see people as Jesus saw people, that they are broken just like me in need of forgiveness and a savior. But you see, the day that Jesus was dethroned from our lives, everything unraveled and spun into chaos. And I finally understood why there was so much hurt and pain in the world. It's because everyone does what is right in their own eyes. You see, we've all decided that we think we know how to run our world better than God does. King Jung, Kim Jong-un of North Korea believes that they have the right to own nuclear weapons because they have a right to defend themselves. Nicolas Maduro believes that he is still the rightful ruler of Venezuela. Adolf Hitler believed that he was the rightful ruler of the world. But, but the greatest wars really start at home when spouses disagree on how to live together, when they disagree on priorities, on calendars, when they disagree about how to about the time. You know what? It's your turn to bring the kids to school. You know why? Because my stuff is more important than yours is. My stuff's more important than the kids is. What to do with finances. There's, there's disagreements on, on how money should be spent and how it should be invested or how, where it should go to. There's disagreements on parenting. I know what's right for my child. You don't. I don't care if you're my wife or my husband. I know better than you. I know what is right. Parents, your five-year-old thinks that he knows how to run his life better than you do, right? We should all have chocolate cake, and we should all have it all day, every day. Never mind about the tooth decay, never mind about diabetes, chocolate cake is good, because I'm five years old, and I know what is right, right? Your teenagers, your teenager thinks that all adults are naive and stupid, you know how I know that? Because I was a teenager once. When I was a teenager, I, I thought adults were morons. You see, when I was 16, I believed that my dad was an idiot. But when I turned 21, I was surprised at how much he had learned in five years. <laughs> you see, sadly, Sometimes the spousal disagreements get so bad that the marriage dies a long and slow and painful death. The whole idea of forgiveness evaporates 
in the relationship. The battle lines are drawn and the children become collateral damage. The point is that we all believe that we are right in our own eyes. And for the first time in my life, I finally understood why the world is so broken and why we all need a savior. So if worshiping Jesus offers us the best quality of life, what does that mean exactly? What does that look like in our daily lives? Well, it means we do Sunday mornings differently. It means that our time and money are not ours. They do not belong to us. They belong to Jesus and his priorities. It means that we live by what Jesus thinks is right and wrong, not by what we think is right and wrong. And it means that we love people the way Jesus loves people, unconditionally and sacrificially. What it means for you, it means forgiveness and healing and restoration and wholeness in your life and relationships. It means peace in your household and not war. It means freedom in Christ for him to carry your burdens. That you're not alone when you do. It means that you will be reunited in heaven with loved ones who have passed on before us. It means for you a future and a hope. So your highest quality of life begins when you cross the dividing line. This is Matthew Charles. And Matthew Charles crossed the dividing line. At age 30... Matthew Charles was arrested for selling 216 grams of crack cocaine to an informant and for illegally possessing a gun. He was given a 35-year sentence, and at his sentencing in 1996, the judge described him as a danger to society and should simply be off the streets. But in prison... Matthew did not receive a single disciplinary infraction for two decades. His prison life was called an exemplary rehabilitation by the judge who sentenced him. You see, Matthew immersed himself in Bible studies. He became a regular at the law library, but not just to work on his own case. He helped illiterate prisoners understand the letters they received from the courts and he drafted filings for them. He took college courses and became a law clerk. But most importantly, Matthew Matthew became genuinely repentant of his previous life by encountering the grace of Christ, not offering empty excuses about his past, but taking ownership. That's what his pastor said about him. And on January 3rd, 2019, Matthew Charles left prison 10 years earlier than his 35-year sentence. Now, if Jesus can cover Matthew Charles in divine grace and forgiveness, then he can cover you. You see, Matthew Charles' life was extraordinary because he chose to bow down and worship Jesus Christ. It changed the way he lived even while he was in prison. You see, Jesus changed Matthew's priorities and showed him how to love people. And Jesus gave Matthew Charles 
his highest quality of life. You see, Matthew Charles is enjoying a high, his highest quality of life today. And Jesus has given Matthew Charles forgiveness and restoration, peace in his household, freedom to let Christ carry his burdens, the promise of a, of a reunion with his loved ones in heaven. And Jesus Christ gave Matthew Charles a future and a hope. So live your highest quality of life today and choose to worship Jesus. Would you pray with me? Our Lord, only you can take the things that have been broken and, and repair them. Only you can take our lives and make them so, so richer and so, so fuller and, and give us so much purpose. Only you can do that, Lord. Jesus, would you allow us the privilege of bowing down to you today and worshiping you with our lives, with everything that we have, simply because you deserve it. In your name we pray, amen. amen. Well, now we're just gonna take a moment to confess our sins to God. Um, I think it's just so, uh, thank you so much, Ed, for sharing with us. We appreciate it. Um, it's one of those things where, uh, you know, so many times uh, you're going to hear people say, hey, you can live your best life now, you know, if you just follow Jesus. And, uh, you know, what, what Ed is saying is uh, there's a difference between happiness, which is just happenstance, right? Like, it's just whatever happens. Like, I'm going to find, like, that I'm feeling good because good things happen to me. And then there's joy, right? And that's what, that's what Ed's talking about. This, this man, when he, when he was following Jesus a year into his prison stay, you're not going to say, oh, yeah, he's living his best life now. But he was, right? Because he was following Jesus. And so um, what that means is for some of us, we're going to follow Jesus and things may seem harder, right? Things may get worse, um, in some ways, but, but because God's presence is here with us in the junk, because God is with us within our baggage, God is with us when we run right back to other idols, right? He's calling us back gently in love. Like, this is the God we worship. We worship a good God who is very present with us in our struggles. And so that is a beautiful thing. When we go and we worship Jesus, um, he knew that many of those people shouting, Hosanna, salvation belongs to our God. He knew that many of them were going to be shouting when he was on the cross too. Like, crucify that dude. And so, um, what I'm just continuing to say with what Ed said, it's just that like, it's not going to get easy. It's going to be better when you follow Jesus. And, and if you have found yourself in a place where you're like, man, I did the same dang thing again. I went to back to the same person who hurt me. I hurt someone. I did this thing again. I tell you that Jesus offers you forgiveness right now. And so in this moment, when you feel, um, when you feel maybe so something up under your craw, when you feel pain, when you feel like you've done something wrong, when you feel like you're not right with God, he offers you something great. He offers you forgiveness. And so in this moment of silence, I encourage you to silently confess the places you've fallen short to God, be, knowing that he is quick to forgive because he loves you. Let's pray.
God, we thank you that you forgive us. You forgive us from all sins and all unrighteousness, that you cleanse us. And Father, that when you look upon us, those of us who have accepted your son Jesus as Lord, you see us as perfect, stainless, because you see the righteousness of your son Jesus. And that's amazing to us. Um, And God, honestly, it's hard for some of us to accept our own forgiveness It's hard for us uh, who feel like we're just too dang bad for you to forgive us for real. And yet we know that your grace is so much bigger than our sin. And that you're not surprised by it because you knew our sin before we did it. You know our sins tomorrow. And still you look upon us with grace and love and forgiveness. So God, we ask that you would help us, even as we've been forgiven, to be reminded that we have truly been forgiven. That as far as the east is from the west, so is our sin from your sight. God, would you make that clear to us again and again and again? Not that we would run back to our sin, but that we would run to you knowing that you are quick and kind to forgive. We love you, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.